Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles, and this episode is brought to you by Loopback from Rogue Amoeba, ExpressVPN, Streak, and Nebia. And if you'd like to get an ad-free version of the show and support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash appleinsider. Joining me this week, my friend across the pond, William Gallagher. How are you, William? I want you let me back in. I'm trying to make it sound like it was your fault. I know, <laughs> I know. You're, listen, the, the listeners cry out when you're not in the episode, like a thousand voices crying all at once. Where is William? That's what they say. Right. So I was just unpicking the Star Wars reference there. I was yes. genuinely uh, touched by people noticing I wasn't around last time. <laughs> I'm, I'm very grateful for that. I was very surprised, but very pleased. Yes, oh, oh, they are for sure. And so now we get to talk about my old iPad Pro and, and whether or not... Uh, you're going to receive it. Yeah. <laughs> I've been looking for the tracking information and there's yeah. nothing yet. Listen, I'm, I'm very sorry, William, but as I went to pre-order the uh, the new iPad Pro with M1, mm-hmm. I, I got a pretty decent trade-in value for my old iPad. I, I'm very sorry, William. I, I didn't oh. know. I didn't know. I thought a 2018 iPad Pro would be worthless now to Apple, but apparently not. No, wait, 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 wait a second. Didn't I read on Twitter you saying you stumbled and ordered two of things oh, and things for me? I did. I did. It was uh, it was more of a finger fumble. I mean, I was thinking of you as I was doing it, but uh, it, it was a fumble, and I did. I canceled that second order, William. I'm, I'm sorry. I will send co. I will send lots of pictures and videos so you can enjoy seeing me use the new oh and what that'll, that'll be that'll be really good yeah yeah I'm don't so, hold back on that oh, i'm so sorry and listen uh, let me just rub it in just one one toke further uh, it's actually shipped the first m1 ipad pros have shipped and uh, i got the tracking number for it so those who are getting it it's coming well it's been very nice being back uh <laughs> see you in a few weeks time or something maybe maybe when uh, the m2 ipad comes out my m1 might make it across the pond i'm not sure i I feel like the, I think the mail has stopped working during the pandemic. That's why I couldn't send it to you. Uh, maybe we'll talk about some benchmarks. Maybe that will help you feel better of the new M1 iPad Pro and iMac. <laughs> yeah, because I hear it's not that fast at all, no, really. It's not, fine. Not at all. Yeah. That's yeah. exactly, well, not, ex- not exactly because benchmarks have leaked. And this typically means if you're starting to see benchmarks on Geekbench or other places of these new devices that reviewers most likely have them in hand and leakers like John Prosser and I think other sources have said embargoes are probably dropping Wednesday and Thursday, May 19th and 20th for the official reviews of these products. So look out early next week, depending on when you get this podcast. If you listen to an Apple podcast, you might get this episode a week late. Who really knows? But the embargoes will be dropping on those days probably. And these benchmarks came out and they are pretty fast. And so it says the M1 iPad Pro. It has a metal score of 20,000 such and so lots of big numbers here, but basically it's saying in graphics performance, the M1 iPad Pro is 71% faster than the A12Z iPad Pros, which is the next most recent model, and that it is about overall 50% faster than that previous generation. And again, this is no surprise. We all know the M1 chip is great. The M1 is in an iPad Pro. It's going to be just as incredible performance as it has been in the Macs. And again, we've said about this before. I mean, this iPad Pro with M1 is on par with these most powerful Macs that Apple is selling. This is why we have to have Geekbench, though, because the human eye couldn't spot a 71% (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm going to do some side-by-side tests before my old iPad goes away, especially when it comes to podcasting and exporting photos from Lightroom because I want to see, you know, how much is this faster? And what I am most interested in is multitasking on this device. Could I have Ferrite editing an iPad open in one window and doing other things maybe in Safari in a second window and it actually be smooth and not herky-jerky? So that's what I'll be testing. I'll be doing a video specifically about touching on that as well. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, to seeing it for sure. I have wondered about M1 because I'm, I'm a writer and most of the time I write. There's only so fast you can type really on anything. So uh, when I went to M1 for Mac Mini, would I even notice the promised difference? And yes, even just typing, I, I can feel. Uh, it's not that I feel faster, it's that the old one feels slower yep. somehow. Uh, I feel a bit liberated in the typing. So it affects everything. But yeah, that sort of processor intensive stuff. I'm actually going to be interested to watch those videos. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. And, you know, a lot of the things that were tested when the M1 first came out, obviously just simple tasks like opening system preferences or opening an app is noticeably faster. And you really feel it when you go back to an Intel-based Mac. But things like displays, where if you adjust the display settings on an M1 Mac, it's an immediate switch. You know, with the Intel era, you have to wait for the screen to refresh and it would kind of take a minute. But with the M1, it's kind of instant. So I'm curious what it's like when the iPad is connected to an external display. Maybe in WWDC time, we'll actually get that separate secondary display support with the iPad. But curious to try it for sure. Isn't the truth that Intel Macs were rubbish? What was the matter with us? How did we put up with that for so long? There was no other option. I mean, it just had to uh, had to be, but but no longer. The, that dark that dark time is over. We were young. We didn't know any better. That's right. And now we do. That's right. All right. Well, so there were some leaks released. Uh, John Prosser, he's a prominent leaker. We've talked about him many times. He received some images of what appears to be a redesigned MacBook Air. He explains in his front page tech video where he kind of gets this exploded view of the laptop, meaning he sees like all the parts. And then he has someone, uh, Ian, uh, on Twitter. He renders these images or makes a render uh, image of those parts so you can kind of see what it looks like. And so we'll put a link to his video and the images in show notes. But this is by John Prosser and renders by Ian. And this new MacBook Air, it's actually pretty different. So <laughs> the differences are this new MacBook Air seems to come in multiple colors, much like the new M1 iMac. It comes in those seven different colors. It is no longer a tapered design. So where the MacBook Air, it's thicker on one side, down to a thin point on the other. This appears to be the same thickness throughout the computer, but that it is just very thin, maybe even thinner than current MacBook Pros. And it looks like the keyboard is white and the screen now has that white or off-white bezel similar to the new iMac as well, and possibly one USB-C port. So removing one of those USB-C ports. So we can talk about the design in general. I'm curious if this is actually a MacBook Air redesign or if Apple is going to bring back the standard MacBook terminology. You know, this was for a while, Apple had MacBook Pro at the high end, MacBook Air in that middle ground, and then the just plain MacBook, it was the 12-inch computer, the only one with that smaller screen size. It only had the one single USB-C port and the headphone jack. And I wonder, if could this might be being that consumer level even cheaper than the MacBook Air product? Or is this actually a MacBook Air replacement because they just refreshed that this past fall? What do you think, William? 
You throw me there because uh, what I was wondering was kind of the other way around. When I heard that there wasn't going to be a wedge anymore, I wondered if that would make the difference between the Air and the Pro less pronounced. Because I mean, with the first generation of it, the, the key difference with the MacBook Pro was that it had uh, sufficient room to have sufficient ventilation so that it could run hotter longer and therefore was more powerful. I suddenly thought that removing the wedge would improve the Air, but now maybe it isn't. It, maybe it hasn't uh, upped the thin end of the wedge it's lowered the thick end of it instead um i quite miss the old macbook for it i'm not going to be in the market this because my heart is set on a 14 inch macbook pro but i'm slightly tempted now you've put it this way and i am drawn to the colors yeah. and things the colors is nice you know it has like the greens and the yellows and blues and all that kind of stuff blue yeah obviously. yeah blue yes. everyone loves the blue. blue yeah very important right yes. <laughs> it does seem on the inside if you look at these renders the keyboard is now white which if you look at a current macbook air macbook pro the keys are black so the keys have turned white which is similar to the imac magic keyboard the new one that has come out and the bezels being white and this has been contentious among many people are white bezels better or are the black better because they kind of you know fade into the background so unsure how I feel about this yet. I think once the M1 iMacs come out and people can see those, it'll be easier to form an opinion on it. But I don't know. What, what do you think about the white keys and bezels? I like it. Yeah. Actually, it makes the whole machine seem lighter. It would never have occurred to me to change the color of the keyboards. I like the black ones. But this, so yeah, I suppose I've got a magic keyboard in front of me, in front of my Mac. So it's white. I'm used to it. But yeah, the, the combination of the pastel versions, the colors, the white bezels, the white keyboard, it has a very light, fresh feel. So yeah, aesthetically great i think yeah, but then i also like the new uh, imax and i understand that i'm not alone in that but i'm on the way to being alone where do you stand on the imax i don't know you really have to see him in person and at least waiting for those first video reviews surely mkbhd is going to have a video i justine the verge yeah. so maybe seeing them in videos like that because apple's product imagery you know it's hard to tell what they look like in real life from their product imagery a lot of times it's the device on a white or black background on their website or it's in the promo video which is again all white and even the product images the promotional images that they showed during the event and made available afterwards again it's hard to tell real life what it's going to be like. I'm sure with any computer you use, you're not looking at the bezels, whether they're white or black. You know, I don't think white bezels is going to be exponentially more distracting than black. And either way, you just kind of forget about them after a while. So I don't know, aesthetically, it does have that light, airy feeling, it does feel like the lower end consumer side, maybe that Apple would put it because for some reason, all the pro stuff has to be dark and black. So <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I'm going to reserve judgment so I can see one of these in person or at least see the uh, review videos. We'll see. I, I would be curious if this is a MacBook and not a MacBook Air and Apple actually hits a lower price point than the 999, maybe because they're pumping out M1s in every device they have from the MacBook Air, MacBook Pro, Mac Mini, now the iMac, now the iPad Pro. Maybe the M1 to produce has become cheaper. And if they can make a MacBook that only has one port, which is not the best, but for some people it might be fine, and actually hit maybe like a $899 or $849 price point, like being well under that $1,000 price point, I really think going into the new 
school year or for education, like that would be probably an extremely popular device at something like that price point. I can't remember the last time Apple had a laptop less than $999. Obviously, education pricing, you could get a MacBook Air for like $899. But just at the retail price under $1,000, that might be something Apple's trying to get into. Oh, I hope now you've said it. I hope for all of this. And <laughs> it's Apple. They're going to disappoint me. It's going to be $2,000. No, <laughs> no. I'd... But are we figuring this will be uh, at WWDC, or are they just going to slip it out subtly? John Prosser was saying this is probably fall at the earliest, maybe even later than that. So oh, right. probably mm. not WWDC. It's probably going to be a little while uh, before this. Because, again, the new M1 MacBook Air was launched this past November 2020. And so that's been mm. seven months six months that it's really been available. So it would seem strange, I guess, to redesign the MacBook Air so quickly. That's why I'm wondering if it will be just be a different titled computer like the plain old MacBook. But but we'll see. We're so far through the two-year uh, transition period already, startlingly far through it. Yeah. Uh, so what's left to convert yet? There's the Mac Pro, the 27-inch iMac. Yep. Uh, what am I forgetting? The 16-inch MacBook Pro and the oh, higher yes. higher-end... 13-inch, or if it's redesigned, possibly 14-inch MacBook Pro. It really looks like WWDC will see some kind of, you know, pro announcement. That's usually where Apple shows developers and the world their some of their pro lines. So maybe we'll see the iMac Pro, quote-unquote, or whatever that larger screen size is, maybe the new laptops. But surely by the fall, we'll see some more Apple Silicon devices launched. So we'll see. Could be this, could be the pro level. So it's tantalizing, but it just occurs to me that right now, yeah, I'm looking forward to the new machines. If I were in the market to buy now, I would be really hesitant um, of the laptops anyway. I mean, I'd just run for an iMac if I was in the market for it. But it's kind of an interesting time in the middle of all this transition. I wasn't expecting a, a patch where it might not be wise to buy the latest. It might be wiser to wait. You, uh, I'll be over soon. We'll be into the new bits. Yeah. There's always another new machine. What am I doing? <laughs> I do agree. If you're in the market for an Apple laptop and you can wait, I would not buy it right now. I would at the very least wait for the WWDC keynote, which happens June 7th. So we're really just three to four weeks away from that. And if there's going to be a hardware announcement during the conference, it will be that Monday, June 7th. So again, if you're in the market, specifically for a laptop, I would wait and see what Apple announces then and then make your decision. Again, the M1 machines are incredible. The ones even that were launched this past November, I'm on the M1 MacBook Pro, William's now on the M1 Mac Mini. I mean, they're incredible machines. You're not buying a bad machine. You're not buying a machine that's going to be obsolete soon. So they're, they're great values. But if you can wait, I would at least hold off till that June 7th keynote. Okay, so this announcement came out. You had the article. It was that Apple is moving documents and data to iCloud Drive. And so what this means is if you have an iCloud account, presumably you do because you're listening to this episode, you probably have an iPhone or iMac, iCloud, as well as having iCloud Drive, which is like their folder and file storage structure, Dropbox competitor, all that kind of stuff. They also have documents and data, which certain apps many apps probably that you use, save some of their information, whether that's sync information or just your data. You know, if you use apps like writing apps like IA Writer, or if you use uh, Pixelmators, things like that, a lot of these apps will save data to your iCloud account and it will be called just documents and data. And it's been separate from the iCloud Drive storage, which could be your desktop, your documents folder on your Mac, plus other folders that you create. But next year, 
beginning in May 2022, Apple's going to merge those two. So everything is then in your iCloud drive specifically. Do I understand that right from your article? That is uh, honestly a very good explanation of it. And I'm envious because I got really thrown writing that story, being certain what was changing when and where. Uh, it, it's come about because I think Apple is making the last steps away from You remember when the iPhone first came out, we weren't supposed to think about where our data was. It was just there in the app when we wanted it. And then we got the files app and now you could move things around. It's slowly abandoning that siloed hidden thing and making things easier to find wherever you and I know that's got to be a good thing. I know there are reasons why it's useful, but it's astounding how the more you get into iCloud, the more confusing uh, it is. I actually got this mixed up between uh, documents and desktop, which is a completely different thing altogether. So I'm glad that one of them is going away and it's sorting it out. Yeah, no, I, my only consternation with this is I am trying to use iCloud Drive more as my main cloud storage solution. I still have a Dropbox account. I still have a Google Drive, but I'm trying to use those less and less so I can stop paying for them and just use iCloud Drive. But when I go to my iCloud Drive, either on my iPhone or my iPad, or you can go on your Mac just to the iCloud Drive, the root level folder, it's a little unfortunate that there are so many folders created by different apps mm. that store their stuff in iCloud. So when I go to my iCloud Drive root folder, I have a OneWriter folder, which I don't use anymore, Byword, which I don't use anymore. Castro has a folder in there. You got Drafts, HomePass is in there. Again, Pixelmator's in there, Scriptable, Shortcuts, like all these random apps have folders in there and you can't move them because if you're using those apps and they're syncing between your devices, like this is what they use is these folders in the iCloud drive. And so you can't delete them or move them. The folders will just recreate themselves or you lose access to some of that data. So while they make these changes to simplify iCloud drive, I really hope that they, I don't know, give us more options to clean up that root level. And I, I try to put everything in the desktop and documents folder. So I'm only going there and I have those in the sidebar on my Mac. So I don't have to look at all those other folders, but I kind of wish could either hide or th those other folders could be stored somewhere else that just didn't clutter up that root level. Does that make sense? Oh, completely. Uh, it's just, I'm envious of you only having one documents and desktop folder. Because you know, if you ever stop iCloud or if you move machines, you can end up with a new one. Documents and then uh, suffix with the name of your new Mac. And somewhere along the line, I've ended up with three or four of these. Oh, no. And I look at them and they appear to have all the same files, but am I duplicating them? Is it, I've got to go through iCloud Drive and sort it out. I just keep putting it off. Man, that's that's unfortunate. I have not experienced that. Even I mean, I moved to this M1 MacBook Pro, but I did not get a duplicate documents folder. That's not great. No, I can't account for it. Um, everything Apple's support says about it is that it shouldn't have happened, but it's happened multiple times to me. Though weirdly, I'm actually, I'm looking through now to try and find them. And I had them on my Mac Mini, my Intel uh, Mac Mini, and I can't see them on this one. So maybe they didn't convert over and now suddenly i'm i'm missing them because they could have things in from pre oh it's just it's a mess isn't Man. it it's either iCloud or my organization one of them is a mess <laughs> well organizing files is no no small feat you know especially when you're busy working and all that in, in any area any kind of job you know you got to save stuff quickly and you don't have time to make organizational file structures on the fly usually so yeah keeping keeping organized is, is tough but it's worth it. This episode is brought to you by Loopback. Listen, if you do anything with audio on your Mac, 
you have got to try Loopback from Rogue Amoeba. So here's what Loopback can do. Loopback is an application you run on your Mac, and it allows you to take audio from whatever application you want, whatever audio inputs you want, and send those to any other app that you would like. So for instance, you're probably on a lot of Zoom calls, maybe you do Skype calls, and you would like to send music or audio from YouTube playing in Safari, along with your microphone input, to whoever's listening on the other side. Maybe that's through Zoom, maybe that's through Skype, maybe you record a podcast in Zencaster or TriCast. Loopack lets you combine an application audio plus microphone inputs and whatever other audio inputs you have into one virtual sound device and send that to whatever app you would like. So I actually used this just the other day. I was recording a podcast and I wanted to play some music so everyone that was recording on the other end could hear it. And in Loopback, it uses this great visual interface and I can just drag my mic input block over here. I drag the music application from their library on there and say create a virtual sound device. And then you can name it whatever you want. I called it mic plus music. And now that virtual sound device, I can select that in any app I choose. In Zoom, I can select my mic input to be that virtual sound device, mic plus music. And then whenever I play music in the music app on my Mac, the people on the other end of the call hear it, just like I'm hearing it. No extra hardware needed. You all do it right there in the Loopback app. With so many people working remotely via Zoom, Skype, FaceTime, all those tools, Loopback has proved incredibly popular for adding audio to that call, the live stream or whatever it may be, and improving the sound of your own mic. That's right, it could do that too. If you need to play a recording into Zoom, add sound effects as you record a podcast, Loopback has you covered. If you want to improve the quality of your microphone, Pair Loopback and Audio Hijack to do just that. And listen, I use Audio Hijack all the time when I'm podcasting. I love that app. Loopback plus Audio Hijack. The sky's the limit with what you can do with audio on your Mac. Download the free trial at Rogamiba's website at macaudio.com slash insider21. That's M-A-C-A-U-D-I-O, macaudio.com slash insider21. And because you're a listener of the Apple Insider Podcast, you can save 21% off Loopback when you buy it, and you are totally going to want to buy it. Use the coupon code INSIDER21, all one word, to save 21%. MacAudio.com slash Insider21, and use the coupon code INSIDER21 when you check out. Our thanks to Loopback for sponsoring this episode. And this episode is also brought to you by Streak. As a founder or business owner, you know what it's like to run your entire business from your inbox. Between sales, recruiting, fundraising emails, things can get very messy quickly. But Streak is a CRM designed to help you stay on top of each part of your process and your inbox without ever leaving Gmail. Streak gives you tools for email tracking, mail merges, and snippets to save time and scale up your email efficiency. In just a few minutes, you can set up pipelines right inside your inbox to start tracking your contacts and emails through each process. And listen, I've used different CRM services and lead management services, but you're always going to have to check your email. So when you have those tools right in your inbox, it can help you do things faster, more efficiently, and you won't miss an important lead or email as it comes up right there in your inbox. Streak also helps you collaborate by sharing emails and pipelines with your team members, whether you work in an office, out in the field, or on a remote team. Pipelines are completely customizable so you can track processes and details specific to your business. Access your pipelines on desktop or the mobile app to add and share information in meetings, at job sites, or however you work on the go. So sign up for Streak today at streak.com slash Apple Insider, and you can get 20% off your first year of their pro plan, their most popular option. That's S-T-R-E-A-K 
Streak.com slash Apple Insider for 20% off their pro plan. Streak.com slash Apple Insider. Our thanks to Streak for sponsoring this episode. There were some more iPhone 13 rumors. We talked about that model that Unbox Therapy had showing a larger camera bump and a smaller notch. Uh, this is looking like it's also going to be slightly thicker, according to some schematics seen by Mac rumors, that the iPhone 13 will be slightly thicker than the current iPhone 12 and 12 Pro with that larger camera bump. And, you know, with the whole iPad Pro being slightly thicker, the 12.9 inch model, so you can't use the old smart keyboard. And now you got a slightly thicker, possibly iPhone 13 that probably wouldn't fit in prior cases. I'm just waiting for a hashtag Thickergate to launch. That's what I said on Twitter. It's going to be Thickergate. <laughs> I think after decades, Apple has finally realized that going for thin, thin, thin is a, a, a missed financial opportunity and slightly thicker gives them all of these accessory options. When was it? I can't remember when Apple stopped saying that something was uh, this thick and started saying it was this thin right. instead. And you could see that was a policy decision. <laughs> <laughs> that is right. They would start saying millimeters thin in the slides and in their keynotes. Yeah, it's only a mile thin. Right. You know, and stuff like this. Yep. <laughs> to have finally been driven away from this, uh, they're thin enough, yep. aren't they? I think so. And again, a slightly thicker, I was talking to some people on Twitter Battery life, I'll take a slightly thicker iPhone for better battery life for sure. Camera improvements, those are great. I don't think Apple would ever go too thick. You know, I feel like they're they're not going to be in the danger zone of creating a, a too thick phone. So go ahead, Apple, go a few millimeters, give us a little more battery life, maybe that would be great. Uh -oh. And maybe that more battery life would power a 120 hertz display, <laughs> that ProMotion display that has been long rumored to come to the iPhone. It's on the iPad, it's on the iPad Pros, and hopefully it will come to the iPhone 13 lineup. And maybe that extra battery will help power that. I can hear your eyes brightening at the thought. <laughs> I don't, I don't hear, uh, you know what I mean. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. A lot of people, uh, many other smartphone yeah. makers, lots of Android phones have 120 hertz. Apple does it on the iPad Pro. I think it's time. I think it's time it comes to the iPhone for sure. Actually, in all seriousness about the thickness, I've, as you say this, I've realized uh, things have changed for me. I used to, uh, I usually wear uh, shirts with a shirt pocket and that's where the iPhone always went. But since I've had the iPhone 12 Pro, I've tended to put it in my back pocket because I've noticed when I lean over to get something out of the fridge and things, it's heavier, slightly thicker. It feels more likely to come out of the top pocket. And I had not thought that until you said this. Hmm. So no, I, I'm against all of this. Apple, make it thin. <laughs> come on, sort it out. I actually would do that too, putting it in a shirt pocket and I and I don't anymore because it, it is heavy. I mean, it's it's not a light phone for sure, but you could have something slightly thicker and, and lighter, but I don't think Apple's doing that either. This is probably going to be thicker and heavier. So no. got to live in that pants pocket on the table. Apple should sell shirts. Mm. That's what Apple should do. Apple shirts. Uh, are, are we, it would be really bad if we bought one. <laughs> don't answer that. It's I mean, okay. I'll be real. I would love to get some Apple apparel. I think you can only get it at the visitor center at the, you know, Apple spaceship campus. And I think there's oh, yeah. one other Apple store, I think in California or near there that yeah, offers merch, but you can't get it anywhere else. So. I'd be down for a shirt. I want to mention AirTag one more time. I thought it was interesting. Someone tracked a letter mailed across the UK, your home country over there. They put an AirTag in an envelope, mm -hmm. mailed it to a friend. The 
person sending it was in Stratford-upon-Avon, England. Oh. Which I, I, I know that place. I, I've actually been there. What? What? Yes, I have. On my... You've been there and you didn't say hello. Well, the, <laughs> this was okay. a number of years ago. Sorry. We didn't know each other then. Next time, though, I will say okay. hello. Okay. All right. Deal. Yeah. And, and he mailed his AirTag to a friend near London and was actually able to track the AirTag pretty much the entire journey. He set up some scripting on his Mac to screenshot the Find My app every two hours or so. And it's really cool. We'll put a link to the blog in show notes. It's at uh, intigo.com. But the link is down there and you can see all the screenshots he took. And he said either the mail person had an iPhone on them or wherever it was going, there were multiple people with iPhones, but he was able to track the AirTag all the way through England uh, to the recipient. What is strange is once his friend got it in London, the AirTag was sitting on a table for multiple days. And according to Apple, some of the anti-stalking features and all that is that the AirTag would start beeping to let you know that a foreign air tag is near you or has been near you for some amount of time and his friend actually did not receive that warning thing and the air tag did not start beeping and so this friend had an air tag next to him that was being tracked by his friend somewhere else and he was not receiving a warning so a little bit of a concern uh, there although it is cool i guess that the guy was able to track it so there's that that is disturbing well, I'm just, I'm not surprised that there were a lot of iPhones in Stratford-on-Avon because it's not the poorest part of the UK, shall we say. Gorgeous part of the country. Do visit if you can, but... Yeah, and even traveling, I mean, all the way down to London. Now, I will say you actually had a, a tip article uh, talking about how to factory reset an AirTag. And hmm. I did a video on it. It's on the Apple Insider YouTube channel. And I missed one key piece of information that I, I left it in a pinned comment so what viewers can see it there. You can unpair an AirTag without factory resetting it. You can do that in the Find My app, going to the item that the AirTag is tracking, and there is an unpair option at the bottom. So if you, the owner of the AirTag, and a friend that you want to give it to, if you want to unpair it from your account and give it to them, you can do that in the Find My app. But if you're not the AirTag, or maybe you've given it to someone else and forgot to unpair it, you do have to factory reset it. And as I read your article preparing to make the video, I thought, surely, is this the the operation to factory reset an AirTag of removing and replacing the battery multiple times? But no, sure enough, that is in fact how you do it. Uh, if it's unpaired within Bluetooth range, fine. Just the normal stuff like you would with anything else. Outside it, yes, you have to go to it. just feel a bit, now you say it feels a bit like alchemy, isn't it? You've got to do things five times or something and say somebody's name and throw salt over your shoulder and right. things like that. But at least, you know, a thief can't tiptoe up to your luggage, take it out and casually reset it. No, but on you without you noticing. As some people in the YouTube channel were pointing out, if someone steals a possession of yours, let's say you have an air tag in your backpack or in one of those loops on the exterior side of your backpack, and someone steals your item, it is possible for them to factory reset that air tag and you the previous owner are no longer able to find it you know so the fact that someone can take your stuff and reset it yes i don't know what the option is there i guess there has to be some kind of factory reset ability built into the air tag but it does give thieves the ability to disable whatever air tag might be tracking your stuff yeah i didn't think about that but youtube commenters mm. they'll, they'll always reveal <laughs> whatever's wrong with uh, an Apple product. So I also wanted to mention last thing on AirTag and trackers, but Chipolo, the 
one of the items that Apple actually announced in their newsroom press release that work with the Find My Network is available for pre-order. They'll be shipping in June. The Chipolo tracker is, is like a black disc and it actually has a key ring hole built in. So you don't have to buy another accessory to attach it to a key ring. You could just put the Chipolo on your key ring and you're good to go. But keep in mind, as I was looking at it, I had planned on getting one because I was like, oh, let me try it. It works with the Find My Network. It takes advantage of all the Apple devices in the Find My Network. The Chipolo tracker. It does not have a U1 chip, nor does it have NFC, it seems like. And so you cannot do the precision finding feature from an iPhone with a U1 chip to the Chipolo tracker. So you can't get that arrow on your screen and it points you in the right direction and tells you exactly how far you are away from the device. You can't do that with the Chipolo. And without NFC, it doesn't have that anyone can scan it feature and get your contact info to let you know about the lost item. So while it is a great option, for the Find My Network and you can get it instead of an AirTag, it does not have feature parity with AirTag and it does not use that precision tracking U1 chip stuff that Apple's AirTag can. It also actually isn't as waterproof. It's water resistant. It can cope with splashes, but it can't stay underwater for whatever it is with the AirTags a minute, uh, 30 minutes at a meter or something. It can't do that, but it is louder, apparently. That's a thing. I mean- It's cheaper. It is. What's the, what's the price on it? It's an entire dollar cheaper when you're buying one. It's $28. And at the moment, if you buy a four pack, it's $90 instead of AirTags 99. But there's a thing on the side that makes it look like that's a temporary thing. It's going to be $112 at some point in the future. But for today, it's a pixel cheaper. Yes. Gotcha. Well, it's a little cheaper, but honestly, I want that NFC and the U1 chip, I feel like. So, yeah. Kind of glad I went with the AirTag. You know, you did the official AirTag review on Apple Insider. You gave them a 4.5. Do you still like them just as much as when you wrote that review? Yes. Still a new toy feel to them. <laughs> I, I actually got to leave my house the other day under lockdown, and I deliberately left uh, one of my sets of keys at home so that I could track it from when I was wherever I was. And it all worked perfectly well. Directed me right back to my own front porch. So, yes, I had a good time with that. Nice. Uh, I bought a pack of four. I gave two to my wife, Angela. I have one on my keys and one is spare, waiting for when I can actually go on holiday oh, and put it in luggage. Nice. Very nice. And that's when I'm going to be annoying everybody by blip blipping it every <laughs> few <laughs> Yeah, that'd be pretty funny. All right, well, I wanted to talk about podcasting. I'm not going to bemoan Apple Podcasts again. I did that on the last episode. And yes, Apple Podcasts still seems broken. Episodes take sometimes multiple days to hit people's apps, but we won't go there just yet. I did want to mention that another major podcast has gone exclusive to Spotify. This is the Armchair Expert Podcast with Dax Shepard. He's the husband of Kristen Bell. Dax Shepard was in the Parenthood TV show and, you know, pretty big name actor. His podcast is one of the most popular podcasts in the industry. He's got millions of listeners every month. And he announced that he is taking his podcast, Armchair Expert, to Spotify exclusively. And all past episodes of the podcast will not be available anywhere except in the Spotify app. And that is effective July 1st. So if you want to listen to that Dak Shepard podcast, then you have to use the Spotify app. You don't have another choice. And overall, I find this practice, this, you know, Joe Rogan did it first. He went as a Spotify exclusive and now Dak Shepard. And it seems like there's probably going to be more big names taking a side into some podcast arena or the other, some service. I still feel like this is a net negative for the podcast industry. 
when a show says you can only listen to this show in this particular app, namely Spotify, or if Apple does this with Apple Podcasts, if you can only listen in Apple Podcasts, I think it's bad for podcast as a whole. For instance, Apple announced its subscription service where you can offer paid exclusive content, but it could be like ad-free and main podcasts can be available anywhere. They announced a partnership with Wondery Plus, which is an Amazon content deal. And Wondery Plus, their like ad-free and additional bonus content service will be available in Apple Podcasts to purchase, but you can also get the Wondery content wherever you get podcasts. If you want to get the free ad-supported versions and all that, you can get that anywhere. Same with the Apple Insider Podcast. You can get it in any podcast app you choose. And if you want to get the ad-free version, you can go to patreon.com slash appleinsider and you can take that RSS feed and put it in whatever app you want. But the show like Armchair Expert with Dak Shepard and the Joe Rogan Experience, it is still free, quote unquote, but you have to use the Spotify app. And I'm just not crazy about it because... If someone switches to Spotify just for this app, you know, if this is your favorite podcast, the Armchair Expert podcast, you're going to go to Spotify and you're going to listen to it there. But if you also want to support Apple Insider or some other show in Apple subscription service, or you want to, I don't know, listen to an RSS feed from a, a bonus content like Patreon, it's you're, you're going to have this rub there of, you know, what do I do with this? I want to listen to this show and that show. And I just don't think people are going to use multiple podcast apps because of exclusive shows. And it might actually limit the listener pool that open podcasts have because they don't offer the same things or can't offer the same things in an app like Spotify. So I don't know, William, do you have any thoughts on this? I must agree with you. I mean, we see it in television, though. Shows are a bigger draw than networks. Hamilton was a massive draw for Disney Plus, more than the name Disney Plus was. The Mandalorian and Star Wars, as well as that. Getting a really hot show on your channel makes the channel. And you, that's not just in streaming. It's been going on since network broadcasts began, even. And this feels like it's trying to follow the same model. If I'm an Apple One subscriber, I've got Apple Music. I'm already paying for it as part of my thing. Am I going to really pay another fee to listen to one show i gotta admit i had never even heard of armchair <laughs> now that you've told me about it i mean i still don't know what it's about but dax shepherd uh you, you just said it Kristen. he's mr veronica mars he's married to veronica he mars. Is. so suddenly i'm a bit more interested and i've got until <laughs> july the first to be hooked for it but listen to the way i said it. i'm never moving over um right. not for one show so and i will say I've, I've listened to a couple of his shows and he does a good job interviewing pretty big name people in all kinds of industries. You don't have to pay for Spotify, though, to hear his podcast. So that's Spotify's argument is that you don't have to sign up for Spotify subscription service to listen to Armchair Expert. You just have to listen in the Spotify app. And the idea is they want to, you know, make these exclusive deals with Joe Rogan and Dax Shepard. So you start using the Spotify app more and more free. You're not paying for it. You're just listening to those podcasts in there. And if you switch all your podcasts listening to Spotify, then someone might ask the question, well, why don't I just start paying for Spotify music rather than Apple music so I can do music and podcasts all in the same place. And so this is the play from Spotify. It just, it feels greasy to me. And I understand exclusive content has been the deal with TV networks, radio, you know, all that. I totally get it. HBO having The Sopranos or Game of Thrones, like exclusive content. It's HBO mm. original content. I totally get it. But I guess for me as a podcaster who's been doing it for a long time, it's a little bit sad to see a medium 
such as podcasting that has been so open. A podcast is just an RSS feed and you can do with it whatever you want. You can just download the MP3s from the RSS feed. It doesn't matter how you want to listen to it. And to see it go from that open, great ecosystem into an increasingly closed ecosystem in this silo of what app do I have to listen to which show in, it's just a little disappointing to me. And, and I don't know, I just don't think it's on a great trajectory. That's all. This episode is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Listen, your internet service provider, whether that's Comcast, AT&T, I actually have Spectrum cable internet. They're not making money just off that monthly subscription you pay for internet service. They're also making money from spying on your internet activity and then selling your history and data to big tech companies. Listen, this is why you see weird ads all over the internet, because that information, no matter where you search for something or look something up, that traffic is sold to other tech companies so they can serve you ads. And listen, I want my privacy and internet browsing history to be totally secure. That's why I use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN creates a secure tunnel between all your devices and the internet so that everything you do online is encrypted. It reroutes your connection through a secure server and this blocks your internet provider from seeing everything that you do online. And ExpressVPN uses trusted server security. Not only is it independently audited to confirm essential privacy protections, but all data is wiped with every reboot. Servers never write to a hard drive, minimizing data risk. You can know that your data is totally safe and not saved anywhere with ExpressVPN. And it works on all your devices, your tablets, smart TVs, even on some wireless router so you know all the internet traffic in your house is going through ExpressVPN's secure servers. I use it on my iPhone, my iPad, and my Mac. It's so easy, you just open the app, tap one button, and you're connected to ExpressVPN servers, and you know all your internet traffic is safe. Your data is your business, so protect it at expressvpn.com slash appleinsider. Visit expressvpn.com slash appleinsider to get three extra months of ExpressVPN protection for free. That's expressvpn.com slash appleinsider to learn more. Our thanks to ExpressVPN and the Nebbia by Moen Spa Shower. You've heard me talk about Nebbia before, and I still love using it. My entire family still loves using it. It's an incredible way to save water and get a superior shower experience. Nebbia started in Mexico City where water shortages were a big problem. They came to Silicon Valley to raise money, and none other than Apple's own CEO, Tim Cook, was Nebbia's first investor. Then developers from Tesla, Apple, and NASA all came to Nebbia to create the shower experience that the Nebbia by Moen Spa Shower delivers, and the mission of the company is to save water. They have currently saved over 175 million gallons of water. Now, I know the idea of replacing your showerhead might be intimidating, especially if you're not super do-it-yourself. And listen, I'm not one of those people either. But I was able to swap out my old showerhead with the Nebbia by Moen Spa Shower in really 15 minutes. They give you all the instructions step-by-step, all the parts you need. It was actually really simple. And once you get it set up, you're going to love taking a shower with the Nebbia by Moen Spa Shower. It atomizes the water, that's the fancy word for it, and it envelops you with water droplets from the shower head that's height adjustable, which is super useful, 
And I got the one with the magic wand. It's like an extra attachment. It attaches on this little magnetic dome in your shower. And between the two of those things, it really creates a spa-like experience in your shower. Even my kids love taking showers now because of the Nebbia by Moen spa shower. This is Nebbia's most advanced and affordable shower yet, starting at just $1.99, and it saves 45% of water compared to standard shower heads. You can get it in four finishes. I got the brushed nickel finish, so it's fingerprint resistant, and it looks great in my bathroom against the tile. And you can also get Nebbia's beautiful accessories to match the shower. I have a shower shelf where you put the shampoos on top, hang the loofahs from these little hooks. It looks great in the shower. And I got these little towel hooks as well that can either adhere to the wall, or you can screw it in to be really secure, and everything just looks great together. And right now, for listeners of the Apple Insider Podcast, you can get 10% off Nebbia products. Nebbia doesn't usually do sales, but they've partnered with us for a long time, and they offer great deals to you guys. So go to nebbia.com slash Apple Insider. That's N-E-B-I-A.com slash Apple Insider. Take a look around, and then use the coupon code Apple Insider, all one word, when checking out. That's nebbia.com slash Apple Insider for 10% off Nebbia products. Our thanks to Nebbia for sponsoring this episode. I did want to cover this one story that came out. Apple hired this person called Antonio Garcia Martinez. He was hired onto the ad platform product engineering team at Apple. And once he was hired on, there was actually a petition started within Apple that went to Eddie Q saying that a previous book that Garcia Martinez had written, the book was called Chaos Monkeys, and he had some disparaging comments about women and some other things. And so these Apple employees started this petition saying, you know, having this person on our staff on our team. Just working at Apple is kind of against a lot of what Apple stands for. And really just a day or so after the petition started circulating, it was announced that this person was fired from Apple. So Garcia Martinez uh, no longer works there uh, because of that petition. I thought that was so interesting and how this person went through whatever hiring process at Apple. Surely there was background checks done and surely looked into his past work. And he was able to get through the hiring process to where he was actually on staff. But then the employees actually rose up, revealed this content in his previous book, and then literally just in 24 to 48 hours, the man is fired from Apple. It's a pretty wild process, and I guess brings up more questions about Apple's hiring process and how much background research they do on a person because they kind of miss this. So, strange. always imagined that, um, I don't know if I knew this or just expected it, that Apple had incredibly rigorous hiring policies. The things he was saying about women are, are abhorrent, and I have no sympathy for him, obviously. But I'm, I'm interested, did he leave a job to join Apple? And so now he's out of work and can't go back. I, I'm concerned, I, I realise I'm a little concerned for him, and I'm a bit surprised given what he said. I'm slightly embarrassed to be concerned. I think whenever anybody loses any job, I kind of identify with that because I've had it happen. Uh, so I wish for his sake it hadn't gone through all the way. I wish for everybody else to say it hadn't either yeah and i feel like so the book that he wrote was 2016 so you're talking five years ago still kind of recent we can leave room if someone writes something 20 years ago and they say i was wrong then i don't sell that book anymore and apple is forthcoming with that information to the staff and to say you know we're bringing this person on staff they wrote these things in the past in case it comes out but we've you know spoken to him about those and he's reneged all that you know that's one thing but you know they didn't seem to do that there was no you know forthcoming of that and the book is pretty recent this is not like an old book so i don't know I'm curious just about their hiring process there and if they didn't think it was going to come up or i don't know 
strange. It speaks to a lack of due diligence because, yeah, it's okay. You can't expect them to read every book anybody's written, but to espouse those attitudes in a book, uh, they're pretty, you know, uh, well embedded in the guy. And it would be hard to imagine that they weren't known by former colleagues, whoever they got references from at Apple. I think it just boils down to somebody made a big mistake at some point, and we all do it. And that book was a New York Times bestseller. So I feel like Apple would have known about that book. But anyway, all right. I wanted to talk about MagSafe just for a second. I feel like one recent time we spoke, William, you had gotten or had purchased the Belkin 3-in-1 MagSafe charger. And we don't talk about MagSafe a whole lot. That was kind of one of the big new features of the iPhone 12. It's been seven, eight, nine months with MagSafe. How has been your experience with MagSafe? Do you like that Belkin thing or any other accessories? Unfairly, still a little wary of Belkin stuff because of previous problems. Sure, sure, but sure. actually, yes, I like this uh, very much. It's amazingly satisfying <laughs> putting the phone on every night. It feels like you're putting it on a shelf. The magnet grip is so strong for it. And yes, I like it. It's the best stand uh, I've had uh, of that type. I used to have one that also did my iPad and things, and that was you know bigger and ungainly and no MagSafe, but it did the iPad and this doesn't. So I still have that one knocking around somewhere. But for a bedside table, it's so small, so neat, and so easy to just slip everything on. Uh, I find I'm remembering to charge my AirPods more often than I was before. So in every way, yes, very happy with MagSafe. Not enough that I want to go buy a MagSafe case with a wallet and whatever else there is, but that stand, gorgeous. Yeah, it's nice. What about you? Well, I, I'm really enjoying the Belkin stand still for charging. I do have an Apple MagSafe wallet, and it's become my primary one, and I do actually enjoy using it. It's nice if I'm going to you know, play, take the stuff out of my pockets for a second. I can just put the wallet on the back of my phone and I don't have to worry about things in two different places or whatever, and just knowing they're sandwiched together is fun. But I've been looking for a car air conditioning vent magnet holder for the iPhone Moment, who makes a lot of iPhone and camera slash lens accessories for the iPhone, they came out with a MagSafe car vent. So I had bought that and it finally arrived at my house. And also Car and Driver has new MagSafe uh, adapters too. And so I tried all of them because I was trying to find one that worked. I'll put a picture as the chapter art. You can see I have multiple of these car vents to trying them out. But the, the Moment one, I really like it. It's got a super strong magnet, mounts to the vent just fine, and it's very sleek. So I liked the look of it. But because it's super flush, like the pegs that hold the air conditioning vent are pretty deep, so they go right there and then it's very flush. The design of my car, which is a Kia Soul. No, I don't drive a Tesla, listeners. Maybe one day. But the air conditioning vent style, it made it difficult actually to put my iPhone on there securely. Like it would be kind of cockeyed sometimes or the the flushness, how flat it sits to the air conditioning vent uh, limited the placement that I could have of the iPhone. But the car and driver ones are kind of nice because there's a... In, like it's like an arm where you can adjust the angle, which that's the other thing with the moment vent. There's no angle adjustment on the, the accessory. The car and driver ones, you could actually adjust the angle. There's like a, a ball joint so you can pivot and all that kind of stuff on it. And because there has a increased depth because of that ball joint and then the clamp that holds the air conditioning vent, it actually sticks out farther and it actually helped fit mine better. They have one where it's just a mount and if you want to charge it, you just plug the cable in. And they also sell one that is a charging MagSafe pad where you can plug like a USB-C cable in the bottom and you can just slap your iPhone on there and it starts charging via MagSafe right away. And so that's the one I kind of landed on and 
honestly, of all the ones that I've tried so far, it's uh, pretty slick. So I'll put a link in show notes to that, but the, the car and driver MagSafe adapter is uh, pretty sweet. I've actually avoided uh, that kind of vent thing because many years ago, I can't remember what phone it was, I managed to break one of the parts of the vent just from not very roughly uh, fitting it on, but apparently roughly enough. But so this is secure and yet doesn't seem to damage right. anything that sounds great yeah absolutely well we need to touch on epic versus apple the court case is still going on they have one more week of this court case even as we record it was a three-week court case you know there's no jury in this courtroom it's totally decided by the judge so it's a little bit different of a kind of court situation if uh, you're familiar with it but a couple interesting things that came out this was actually towards the end of last week i believe but there was actually a picture of a human review station for the app store apps so this is someone who works for Apple and their job is to review apps that are going into the app store, whether they are updates or new apps. And it's a picture of their setup. I'll put it as the chapter art right now so you can see it. Really wild, like the amount of devices, which this totally makes sense. I guess you have to test it on multiple devices. And so this setup, it's got an iMac, a MacBook Pro with an external display, an Apple TV, an older iPad with Touch ID, an iPad mini, and then two iPhones, plus another device, like intense setup. And just to imagine, man, this has got to be a tough job. Like I don't know anyone personally who has to be a part of the app store review process, but man, like having to test across all those devices and now knowing the amount of apps that go through the document that was revealed in the court case of Epic Games versus Apple, it revealed that 4.8 to 5 million apps are submitted every year. And so to think about all those apps that have to be seen by every app review, app store reviewer. And not only that, but if this app has a compatible iPhone, Apple Watch, iPad, and Apple TV app, where some apps do, the app reviewer has to check it across all those devices. And so again, thinking about that amount of work, just sheer amount of work to be done and trying to limit the amount of scams and all that for the app store, it really seems like a daunting task. So I just, I thought that picture was wild. I'm hoping they have some automated routines to get some of the brunt work out of the way. But what I noticed in that picture was there's an apple in it with a bite taken out. So uh, I think slightly posed mm. photograph there. But <laughs> yes, it's an array of gear. Everything Apple produces, apart from the Apple Watch, I think, which presumably the tester is wearing. That's fine. I did not notice that at first. That was a good catch. And so there's, there's other things being talked about as far as, again, in-app purchases, being able to purchase V-Bucks for Epic Games, and whether someone going through a web browser makes it more difficult to do. But there was also this interesting thing where Apple released this newsroom press release on Tuesday of this past week, kind of bragging about all the things the App Store has eliminated or caught to prevent scammers and how many customer accounts were rejected because of you know, strange activity during the app review process. Basically bragging, for lack of a better word, about how the App Store has protected iOS users. And Gruber had an article about it. I'll, I'll put the link in show notes. But some of the numbers from Apple's Newsroom article was saying that 244 million customer accounts were deactivated for inappropriate App Store activity. 424 million attempted account creations were rejected in the calendar year 2020. And 470,000 developer accounts were terminated. And these were 
basically scams or nefarious activity from these accounts that Apple has eliminated through its review process and its security teams. And just looking at those numbers, it's staggering the amount of accounts and apps and work that has to be done. And again, to hold such tight reign over the App Store, trying to review this much stuff, it just seems like almost an impossible battle. I don't know. Yeah, give up, Apple. Just let let it all through. Let no, it all. We'll, no, we'll sort it out. Not saying that. We'll be fine. No, 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 no. And uh, works for Google. So Work one it. of Gruber's points was Apple was basically saying in this newsroom press release that they are ninety nine percent effective at removing scams. And if the Epic v Apple court case wasn't happening right now, Apple probably wouldn't have released this newsroom press release talking about the App Store stuff. Mm. And there was also developers on Twitter and on the websites, kind of like surfacing scam apps to basically show, look at all the stuff that Apple didn't catch. And so again, Apple's trying to answer that public opinions voice, but John Gruber held Apple to the idea of, if you're gonna say that you can protect users and that you are doing a good job of it, why isn't the efficiency rate like 99.99999%? You know, there is still a lot of scam apps that come through for all the millions of accounts you deactivated and the hundreds of thousands of developer accounts you didn't allow to put an app in the app store. Apple is still the most profitable company in the world, still a trillion dollar company. What does it take then to create the kind of security and privacy that Apple is touting at a rate so low that you don't see this kind of number of scam apps that developers have been surfacing in the recent future? Is it a money problem? Is it too expensive? Is it a manpower problem? Or is just, you know, and these are the inner workings that is coming out in the Epic Games versus Apple court case. So I don't know, maybe in this last week as Apple is trying to defend the App Store, well, more stuff will come out and we're obviously covering it on appleinsider.com. But yeah, it's just interesting. Anything interesting that you saw come out of the, uh, the court case these past weeks? Um, I'm not going to say I'm avoiding the court case, but I would like to say, I, I think actually uh, what we all forget is that scammers are people too. They need an income just like the rest of us, and we are denying them oh, my the word, opportunity William. to make a decent living. I think that's uh, called a devil's okay. advocate, William. No, I'm not taking that. <laughs> okay, it was a shot. <laughs> and the issue is with scams is because Apple takes the 30%, Apple is kind of complicit. I mean, I like for better word, because they're taking the money from some of these scam apps. So, yeah. And sure, they shut them down, but if these scam apps are active for a month or two and they do weekly subscription renewals for the users, mm. they can really milk a lot of money out of unsuspecting people. So Goodness. I'm not sure what needs to be done. Obviously, it's it's a difficult problem to solve, but it is still a problem. I think that's the point. Anyway, last little bit. You had an article about aerial screensavers on Apple TV. And it's fun. I just want to say, if you have an Apple TV and you don't have the aerial screensaver set up, I'm not sure what you're doing because it is really fun doing that. And you can actually find out where an aerial screensaver was captured. And you have the article on telling them how to do that. Yeah, we did it because I kept finding the captions by accident. <laughs> how am oh. I doing this? Oh. When I want to, I can't. <laughs> so I studied it. I looked into nice. it. Also, nice. plus I have bought uh, the new Apple TV 4K. And uh, one of the things I'm deeply looking forward to is seeing the 4K version of these screensavers. Because I've been using an Apple TV HD for five years now i can't remember something like that so it's quite ex i was excited about the new screensavers and then this was coming on as well isn't it silly screensavers that it's worth talking yeah. about but they are so well done so gorgeous just mesmerizing yeah like they that. really are beautiful so uh, if you have an apple tv 
4K, or I think the Apple TV HD does it too. As long as you have TVOS with a yeah. Siri remote, you can do the aerial screensavers. And they're beautiful. We'll put the article in show notes from William. You can find out how to do it and find out where the screensaver was taken. They're pretty cool. Well, that's the show this week. Thanks again to our sponsors, ExpressVPN, Loopback from Rogue Amoeba, Streak, and the Nebbia by Moen Spa Shower. Don't forget, you can get an ad-free version of the show and bonus content at patreon.com slash appleinsider. Don't forget, if you haven't yet, give us a five-star rating and review an Apple podcast. That will greatly help out the show if you take a moment to do that. You can tweet at William and myself. Our Twitter handles are in the show notes. We'd love to get your questions and thoughts, stuff we could talk about here on the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. And don't forget to check out the HomeKit Insider podcast that comes out every Monday. We talk about smart home and HomeKit devices and the Apple Insider daily podcast. You can get the top Apple news headlines every day in just a few minutes. There's links to all that in the show notes. Thanks so much for joining us this week. We'll catch you next time.